Hello everybody, so in today's episode I'm speaking with Paul from Cutting Through the Chaos. We're going to dive into Paul's origin story, how he's been traveling around the globe, working as a CFO, uh, planning the life of his family, just kind of like using him as a gay study, just also honestly for myself to learn a lot from. So I hope this episode will offer some value. Sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again to another podcast episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. So today I've got Paul with me. Hey, Paul. Hey, Alvar. How's it going? Not too bad. And i actually going to ask Paul a difficult question straight away. So, Paul, you just told me, Nine years into marriage, you suddenly decided to move to Zambia, Africa. Why did you do that? And can you walk us through that from like a Phi perspective? Well, good question, Alvar. So nine years into marriage, we had, my wife and I had just had our first kids. And my wife had just come back to work and was not enjoying things. She'd agreed to go back part-time three days a week. But as sometimes happens in these situations, she was working three days a week, doing five days a week worth of work in those three days. But she was only being paid for three days. And, and we were finding that she was dropping off our, our eldest at, at nursery, rushing to get to work, rushing to get back for work. And we just we both felt that we weren't doing a great job of parenting. And that, that just started us questioning a few other things. At the time we got, got married, my wife is from Zimbabwe. I had grown up in Latin America. We, we both had this desire, and it was one of the things that brought us together, to, to go and work in the developing world at some stage, to try and use the skills and the experience that we've been so fortunate enough to, to have, to try and do some sort of greater good. And I think the, the conversation we had around my wife ultimately leaving her job um, to, so that we could be better parents, a, a better family unit, that got us talking about looking for jobs in the developing world. And, and we started doing that pretty much right away. It was a much longer process than, than I thought, which was maybe a little bit of a hit to my ego, Alvar, and that's, you know, I'd been working in, in the finance world for 15 years. I was a chartered accountant. I'd worked for a big four, you know, I'd worked in the in the UK, I'd worked in the States. And I just thought, I'll, I'll walk into a job. This will be nice and easy. But it actually, it took about a year's worth of looking for jobs, you know, 20 odd applications, most of which I never got a response to. And I think largely the, the reason was that the, the NGO world, the development sector, they were looking for people who had five, 10 years experience in, in the sector, in an international setting. And, that, and I just didn't have that. Um, I was fortunate that I came across a, a smaller NGO, a, a US organization that was based in Zambia. And that lined up nicely with our sort of family focus in that my wife, her sister and, and their family lived there. So it had a nice family connection to it. So ultimately, I got this job as a the CFO of this the smaller NGO working with malaria and sanitation in Zambia. And that was, you know, an incredible move for us. I think it was, it was something we, we definitely talked a little bit about, but not too much from a finance perspective. Not because, you know, at that stage we haven't come across financial independence or fire or, or that. We'd always been like good savers. We were both really, really frugal people, but not great at, at investing the money and, you know, we thought, you know, well, there's a decent, a, bit, a decent bit of money in the bank. The Zambia opportunity is great. We know from all of the applications that we submitted that this isn't going to be something that maybe comes up again. And we, we decided to go for it. And it was great from a, a family perspective in that my hour plus commute each way was, was knocked down to like a 10 minute commute once we got to Zambia. 
we were based in Lusaka, which was the the capital. And that was, it was a great place to be, but slightly surprisingly, the, the cost of living we find was was higher than it, it was for us in Scotland, where we've been based before. A lot of that is driven by by property prices in Lusaka, in that because foreigners are not allowed to own, own property, all of the property is owned by, by local Zambians, and there's a, a shortage of, of like family homes. You know, we're looking for three, four bedroom places, and the going rates seem to be about two and a half thousand dollars a month for for those houses. You know, we were fortunate, I say fortunate, to find one for a couple of thousand dollars a month. Um, but that that was significantly more than we were paying on our mortgage back in the in the UK. Prices of like groceries and things for for things that were grown in Zambia were very cheap, but pretty much everything else was imported. And you know, we had a couple of kids at the time we moved out, so things like diapers and that are you know, probably five or six times as expensive in Zambia as, as we could get them in Scotland. So so our cost of living jumped up a little bit. And and in that first 18 months, like work was incredibly challenging for me. The organization I joined had no financial oversight prior to me joining. And so things were, were not in the best shape, let's say, whenever I joined. And I was working probably 60, 70, 80 hour weeks which was was a bit of a challenge family-wise, though one of the big benefits of Zambia is that to have a, a local housekeeper is, is incredibly cheap. And so we had we had this amazing lady, Sheila, who would come in and clean our house. And, and that was, I think, uh, from a family perspective, great for us because it meant that at the weekends, we weren't having to, to try and clean the house when we were both back from work, but the house was nice and tidy and we could then enjoy things together as a family if if I had a bit of time off work. Um, so that was great from a family perspective. And, and our whole five years were were great from a family perspective. But I guess coming back to your, your question, Alvar, I wouldn't say that the decision to go to Zambia was, was made with finances in mind. It certainly left us um, in not as good a position as we would have been financially had we stayed. But it's not a decision that we regret for a second. I think the the benefit to our family life, the the purpose that you get from working in a role where you're making a difference to to the lives of of people in Zambia who are significantly less well off than us and who who don't have the same privileges that we grew up with, I think that that just makes it much easier to to put in those extra hours and to to try and and do a job which is yeah to do a great job serving people in, in the best way we can. Because this had nothing to do with actually um, wanting to save more due arbitrage, lower cost. Because if I'm hearing what you're saying, actually you took a significant pay cut. You're, you were paying more while living over there in Zambia. But the whole reasoning behind it, having a chance to do that. I love that you guys just dived into that. And obviously it comes with a lot of risk uh, because you moved your whole family over there. That must definitely not have been easy. But I just wanted to ask, like in terms of saving itself were you guys still able to save anything uh, over there in Zambia and you mentioned US dollar is, is did you get paid in US dollar or was everything uh, like arranged um, obviously it was an american employer uh, how did that work the organization i worked with was an american employer and our our international staff were were paid in US dollars our local staff were paid in kwacha as was the the law there at the time the first 18 months to two years, I, I did the numbers recently when I we came across this whole FI stuff and I was going back and trying to look at how much we'd saved historically. And for those first two years, we we spent significantly more than than we saved. It's probably the the only two years in, in our married lives where, where that's been the case. We've only two years probably since since I started work where that's been the case. And part of that was when you move into the properties in Zambia, they're 
maybe not quite to the same standard that that you would be used to here. You know, the floors aren't quite flat and and that sort of thing you can live with. I, I guess the things that are more challenging to live with is when the electrical system just looks like it's about to explode and you're you don't have water in the house after five o'clock at night, so you need to put in bigger water tanks and the electricity goes off for 10 hours a day. So you need to invest in an inverter and batteries so that you can have lights and run the fridge and things like that. So these are some of the costs that we maybe hadn't quite anticipated. And so there was a lot of say investment in the house when we we first arrived. You know, we suspected we'd be there for longer than two years. We thought maybe four years. And and so we felt it was appropriate to to invest a little bit of money in those those first that first sort of 18 months to make sure that the house was up to standard for for our family to live in and we we ended up adding to the family while we were there we ended up you know I, I think um god must know that my wife and I are pretty frugal and that he gave us a buy one get one free with our third pregnancy so we <laughs> we ended up with four instead of three kids so it, it meant that having invested that little bit of money up front in the house we had this this great house that was probably under market rates um while we were living there in terms of of saving, we we came across Fi. I came across Fi probably three years into our time in Zambia. I was looking at you know what side hustles I could set up or how I could try and figure out a way of earning a little bit more money um, to with some family members who I thought you know at some stage we might have to to provide them with a little bit of support. And I was trying to figure out a way of of adding to our income to be able to do that. And in the process of looking through side hustles, somebody suggested I I listen to the Choose Fi podcasts. I did that, came across financial independence, and then started tracking our savings and looking at ways of investing um, a bit more money. Prior to to that sort of awakening to the, this financial independence world, Alvar, I think that you know my my investing brilliance came down to buying a bigger house at, at one stage because I felt that with this excess money in the UK, we should do something with it. And of course, the the smartest thing for me as a chartered accountant to do would be to buy a bigger house for us to live in because you know everybody knows a property always goes up. I guess my superpower to my brilliance was I did that six months before the, the property markets um, crashed in 2007. So my my investing prowess prior to going to Zambia was nothing to write home about. And when I came across this buy stuff, one of the things that I obviously looked at the, the index funds that everyone talks about. But it became very clear that I couldn't do that in the UK because as a non-resident, you can't open an ISA, you can't open, you can't put any more money into uh, a pension when you're not living there. And you can't even open a a brokerage account in the UK because UK financial institutions will not deal with non-residents, even if you are a UK citizen. It just, yeah, it just seemed very, very difficult for us to to be able to do anything. So I looked around, I came across a, a book called Expats Millionaire by Andrew Hallam. And he was a teacher who traveled internationally and retired by the age of 40. And he talked about his his investing strategy, which again was index funds, but how you could do that as an expat and particularly as an expat who wasn't living in the developed world. So if you lived outside of Europe and outside of the US, um, stroke Canada, it was very difficult. And not just was it difficult, in that it was you know, challenging to find somebody who would take your money. But often you would find people who were, were asking to take your money, but that's you know, unbelievably poor terms. Um, I think if you look at, at some of the things that are going on in the likes of Dubai and Singapore, there are some, let's say, financial advisors who are, are trying to offer to invest for you. And they're charging things like you know, 6% upfront fees and extreme penalties if you take your money out within 25 years. And just things that are, 
you know, would, would eat up your money like there's no business. So finding this book was a great way of identifying the brokers who didn't do that and who would be willing to deal with, with expats who were not um, living in the developed world. And so the one that, that I find that, was, that I was able to deal with, and it was the only one who would deal with somebody who was tax resident in Zambia, was a, an organization called Interactive Brokers. They're a large U.S. broker, and they would deal with me as a U.K. citizen and somebody who was Zambian tax resident. So I started just piling money into any savings that we were making. I was putting into index funds in, in Interactive Brokers. And given that you know we have kind of an international outlook, and I'm not sure quite where we'll end up long term, we're just investing in world index funds. So for you know developed or developing markets, um, the one that we invest in in dollars is VWRD, which is one of the Vanguard funds. Whenever I'm investing UK sterling, then it's VWRP, which is effectively the same fund, albeit that it's an accumulating fund, which Vanguard has just introduced. But yeah, I, I use interactive brokers. The the nice thing about being tax resident in Zambia was, and the one advantage we had there, um, they had a on the downside, there was a higher tax rate where the, you basically hit a 37.5% income tax bracket almost right away. But the upside was they only taxed you on any income earned in Zambia. And so that meant that any money invested, any capital gains um, that were overseas, that there was no capital gains tax or anything on those. Um, and so one of the things that we did before returning to the UK was at the advice of some, some accountants, some former colleagues at the big four firm that I worked at, was to, to sell our investments in interactive brokers and then buy them back to reset the base number that we had so that going forward in the UK, while we were a tax resident for a few months earlier this year, that our base would be lower. And so if we ever did sell them at some point in the future and they were subject to UK capital gains tax, that that gain would be, would be lower. few quick questions. You mentioned an accumulating fund uh, in terms of Vanguard just introduced that. Why did you decide to pick that fund and could you also maybe explain to the audience what is the difference between an accumulating fund and just a fund that pays out a dividend? Sure. So a fund that pays out a dividend, pays you out a dividend, you get the, you receive the cash into your brokerage account and you can decide what to do with that money. You can either withdraw it from the brokerage account or you can reinvest it. If you reinvest it, there is generally a fee every time you reinvest. So there's a transaction cost of, of doing that. What uh, an accumulating fund does is rather than pay you out the dividends, that's the dividend cash is reinvested by the fund straight back into the fund. It buys more shares in the companies that it's investing in. The price of your fund should, in theory, therefore go up to compensate for that. And it just means that you don't have any you don't have any dividends that you're receiving. And so two advantages. One is you don't pay a transaction fee to reinvest your dividends. And secondly, there is no income tax on the, the dividend that you're receiving because you're not receiving a dividend. So that's the, the point on that. In terms of the, sorry, Alvar, I'm gonna, did you ask me about the VWRP? Uh, yes, exactly. And also good that you mentioned the tracker once more, because I think for many people that just know the standard VWRL um, index funds, and it's just good to hear of an alternative that's out there and, you know, the advantages it can offer. And obviously for most people, VWRL, generally speaking, will do the job, but alternatives never hurt. And you mentioned that you were using interactive brokers for investors. Was that, uh, could you just as a natural person reach out to them, open an account and invest with them, or how did that process look like? Yeah, so in terms of the, the different funds or whatever, so you've got VWRD, which I think is what a lot of UK people will invest in. That is a total world index, both developed and developing countries that is run by Vanguard. 
the VWRL fund is the exact same fund, but it's denominated in US dollars. So if you have US dollars to buy a fund, then you'll buy VWRL. If you have UK sterling, you'll buy VWRD. VWRP, which is the accumulating fund, is effectively the UK, the GBP equivalent of VWRD. So lots of acronyms here. Um, They're all Vanguard funds. And I think if you log on to whichever broker you're using, you'll be able to see generally both a a dividend fund and an accumulating fund. And it's up to you then to decide whether you would like the dividends to be reinvested or whether you would like them to be paid out as to which one you, you use. In terms of interactive brokers, so although they're a US firm, as far as I'm aware, they will accept people from any nationality and pretty much any any tax domicile. Um, they certainly, if they can accept somebody from Zambia being tax domiciled there, I can't imagine there are many jurisdictions that they will turn down. They, they were fairly easy to work with. Um, but one of the other, I guess, things I did when I was first setting this up is, and this is a gentleman that's recommended by Andrew Hallam in his book, there is a, a U.S. financial advisor called Mark Zorl, who works mainly with expats. And for a flat annual fee of $97 a year, he will help you set up your funds. He'll answer whatever questions you have. And he's like he's an email away and he answers. I think he pretty much answered every one of the emails I'd sent him within within four or five hours, despite time differences. And when I was setting up with Interactive Brokers, there was a couple of things that are a little bit challenging. I wasn't quite sure um, how I had to set things up, what I should be answering for a few things. So I, I spoke to Mark about it. We had a call about it. And he then jumped on a, like a screen sharing app with me. And he walked through the whole process with me. So that $97 I spent with Mark was, was money well well paid. I had a couple of tax questions that he wasn't able to answer, but he had somebody he could refer me to so that I could speak to them and, and get answers for them. So that was that was a real help in, in getting that all set up and running. And, you know, it's it was money that I, I don't for a second regret spending. And I think the nice thing that I like with financial advisors is, is people who charge you a flat fee. I think that means that I would much rather pay people for their time and advice rather than wonder about their objectivity if they were taking a cut of, of things that I either decided to invest in or didn't. And Mark doesn't do any of that. So he was, was somebody that I, I trusted and who I've, I've now worked with him for over a year and was you know very, very happy with, with the, the service I received from him. And it's, yeah, he's just at the end of a call. I had a couple of calls with him about different things. And I probably over the course of the year sent him a dozen emails about different bits and pieces. And it was great to have somebody who's who's kind of helped so many people around the world deal with this stuff to to have them you know supporting me and, and answering questions that, that I might have so yeah I wouldn't say it's the most straightforward to, to set up with interactive brokers but it was the first time I'd set up with a broker so maybe that was part of the challenge for me but yeah I, would, I was very happy to have somebody like Mark that's great to hear you know some positive news actually around the financial advisor um I mean, in, in the fight community, we tend to bash on them quite often and see it as wasted money. But the fact that he's $97 a year, it, it almost sounds too cheap to be true. But what you're describing as the process and the service he's offering, if you have a gain by it, why not? Because probably the things he knows, the savings you can make by that far outrule the $97 spent. And you've mentioned the name Andrew Hellman a number of times now. He's actually a person we really, really want to get on the show. So that's, I hope, something we can arrange in the future because I joined one of his webinars. Uh, 
watched it and in general just have heard great feedback uh, from his blog his book and his teachings obviously he's focused on expats but in general if it comes to personal finance advice uh, so everybody go and check him out but anyway so but Paul, let's get back to your story so we're in zambia you've got your account set up you're saving a reasonable amount through interactive brokers but then uh if uh, i may reveal the name shitakba uh hits and you guys decide to go there could you explain to the audience what is it why did you decide to go there and what happened while being there Sure. So I came across financial independence at the start of 2018, so nearly two years ago now. And like with, with most things that I do, once you find out something that's this, this exciting and you kind of wonder, one, why haven't I come across this before? And, you know, for me as a finance person, you know, how on earth did I not think of this myself before? It just seems so obvious that if you increase your saving rates significantly beyond what people normally do, that, that you could retire early. And that, that thought had never really crossed my, my mind. And then going through this stuff, I came across this this financial independence conference called the Chautauqua Conference that was run by by JL Collins, The Simple Path to Wealth. And it was organized by Alan Donegan, who runs a pop-up business in, in the UK. And there was a couple of other headline speakers that were going to be at it. And it's it's a conference that is run annually. There's they run two or three times per year. They are I think Jim Collins sells it as, you know, he wants to run conferences in exciting places with exciting people and exciting conversations kind of thing. And whenever I first saw this, it was in, they were being run in Ecuador and, and I grew up in Ecuador. And so that immediately attracted me to it. And I was thinking about, you know, I'd love to get back to Ecuador at some stage. Maybe this Chautauqua is a chance to go and go along, find out a little bit more and see what they say. And at this stage, I had no clue in investing. Like I say, my, my previous investing experience was buying a bigger house. And so I thought, well, I can go along here. I can talk to Jim. I've, I'm partway through reading his book. It seems like a, you know, he's got his investing stuff sorted out. He'd be an ideal person to chat to. I've been thinking a little bit about setting up side hustles. You know, Alan Donegan's going to be there. This is kind of his thing. I'm going to meet you know, a bunch of other similar people. And they, they limit the event to like 25 to, to 30 people as attendees and you're there for a week at a time. So the the fact that you're there for a week means that you get to know people really well. The fact that there's only, you know, 30, 35 people, including speakers, means that you really get to have some great conversations with people. And at the end of that week, you know, you feel like you know everyone really well and you don't feel like you're you're leaving having missed out in conversations. And the fact that you are sort of taken away from your normal day-to-day -day life, it just means that you have a bit of space to, to think about things a bit more. And so that was that was really interesting. And the other attraction for me is I have never been able to get my my wife interested in personal finance. Anytime I try and have a personal finance conversation, I can almost see her eyes glazing over and I can tell in her head she's thinking about what she wants to cook for dinner instead of listening to me talk about you know mortgage interest rates or, or whatever it is that I wanted to talk about. And when I Talked to her a little bit about this financial independence stuff I was coming across. Again, I could see she was not entirely enthusiastic about it. Not that she had anything against the, the five principles. She's a frugal person. She likes living with less. Um, she kind of re rebels a little bit against materialism. So she liked all those principles, but she didn't want to hear me talking about, you know, 25 times our annual expenses and, and anything like that. And and I wanted to make a few changes on the back of finding out about financial independence. And I kind of thought, well, if, if I can drag my wife along to this, 
she'll get a nice holiday in Greece. And this is kind of how I sold it to her, Alvar. I was thinking, like, you've got four kids, Kirsten. You, you really need a break. I can see how hard you're working. How about I take you away to Greece for a week? You'll get some really nice food. I know how much you love Mediterranean food. You'll have a great time lying by the pool. Oh, by the way, there is this kind of financial conference going on at the same time, but it's only like one talk a day and it really won't, it won't eat into your pool time. And did I mention that you'll get a bit of a break from your, your four kids? So I kind of got her on board with that. The, the, the thing that was trickiest to get her on board with is these things are expensive. So there's, there's no getting around that. Um, by this stage, you know, I kind of worked out our net worth and we were, you know, we were actually well on our way. You know, we'd been frugal over the years. And so this wasn't going to take out, it wasn't like it was going to wipe out our savings to go to this thing. So I managed to persuade her to go. That then meant I had to try and persuade my in-laws to come to Zambia for a week to babysit our four kids. And the coming to Zambia bit's not difficult. The babysitting four kids, three of which were like three and under at that stage, that, that was a bit more of a, a harder sell. So anyway, we managed to persuade them to do that. And we ended up going to the Chautauqua. And having been, I think the things that, that jumped out at me that I hadn't quite appreciated at the time that were even better is this was October last year. So just over a year ago that we ended up going. By that stage, it looked like, and it felt like, you know, our time in Zambia was probably coming to a close. It felt like um, it was time for me to step back from the, the NGO I was working for. The In my time there, I'd been able to build up a, a really good local finance team. And the, the level of work, I didn't feel required somebody in my position full time. So I'd been talking you know, to, to Kirsten about maybe stepping back from that for the time being, or maybe looking at something else. But it wasn't a decision that we kind of wanted to make in the heat of day-to-day life when you haven't got a chance to sit down. So, so the Chautauqua came around at a great time for us. It meant that we had a, a week's worth of headspace to just have these conversations with each other, never mind other people about taking, you know, taking the decision to step back from work. And, and ultimately I did when I returned to Zambia, I was able to, I, I, you know, handed in my, my resignation or whatever and, and step back from things. And it felt like it wasn't a decision that I made in haste because we'd had this time. It was it was something that, that we were able to, to really think through and, and make what we felt was the, the right decision for us. The the other thing that I hadn't quite appreciated was Alan Donegan and Katie, his his wife, are this amazing couple at organizing events. This thing was like as professional an event I'd ever attended. And I've attended like lots of conferences over the years through work and stuff like that. But this was unbelievably precision engineered organization at its best, Alvar. So from the moment you woke up in the morning, you almost didn't have a decision to make. So you would arrive at breakfast and everything was there for you. You knew what time to arrive at breakfast. You knew when to go for lunch. You knew when speakers were speaking. You knew basically what you were, you know, everything that was was happening was laid in a plate for you. So that removed a lot of the, the decision fatigue that you have from normal day-to-day life, you know, particularly when you've got four kids and you're trying to make decisions to keep decisions to keep all four kids happy. Not having that drain on your sort of mental capacity meant that you were freed up to have these other bigger conversations, bigger ideas. And so it was great to to be able to have those. And one of the things that, that came out for us from Chautauqua was when, when we made the decision that we thought, okay, it's the right time to step back and to, to leave Zambia, we weren't quite sure what would come next. You know, I hadn't any other jobs lined up. I wasn't applying for jobs, you know, at that stage. And we thought, well, let's maybe take three or four months off. And that was kind of what my wife and I had at the back of our head. And then we were talking to, to Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution for a, we had a, a chat with them for, for a couple of hours. And 
one of them, and I can't quite remember which one, said, well, why don't you guys just take longer than three or four months off? You know, why don't you take a year off? And we were kind of looking at each other thinking, actually, that sounds, that sounds good. You know, they kind of looked at our numbers with us and where we were. And we, we, we certainly aren't five, but, you know, we're, you know, in a very fortunate position. We thought, OK, well, maybe we could take a year off. And then as, as I was talking to Kirsten, I could, I could see in her, her heart that she, we love Scotland to bits, but she wasn't ready to come back to Scotland just yet. She, she didn't like the thought of having to have four young kids in Scotland where it rains a significant amount of the time and to have to put raincoats and boots and everything on to get them out of the house and then bring them back in, take their clothes off and on and off and on and off and again. She didn't like the thought of, you know, long, cold um, nights in winter. And it just felt a little bit to us like we would kind of be going back in time a little bit. It just didn't feel like the right move for us. And that was one of the things that was holding us back a little bit from the decision to leave Zambia was, what do we do next? And we weren't quite sure. And Christy then suggested, well, hang on a second, guys. Why don't you just, you know, you want to take a year off. Let's, let's talk through you taking a year off. You want to do that as cheaply as possible. Why not Portugal or Spain? You know, those co- countries are significantly cheaper than the UK. You can save a bit of money. You've got better weather. It's a new adventure for you guys. It's a chance for your kids to learn another language. And it's, yeah, it's just something cool and new and exciting. And and I'm sure if you guys are in Spain or in, in Portugal, that you'll get lots of family to come visit you anyway. So it's not like you're in Zambia where it involves a, a 20, 24-hour trip to come see you guys. You're you're just a, a short flight away. So that got us really exciting then about the thought of what this, this next year could hold for us as opposed to, I don't want to say um, fear of, of what would come next if we ended up back in Scotland. You know, we, we love Scotland and, and things would have been fine, but but Spain just felt like it was something exciting and new that we could do. And, and the reason we ultimately settled in Spain is I speak Spanish, so that was that was one tick in its favor. I'd had, you know, a little bit of interest at some point in the past from another NGO that was based in Latin America, and I thought, well, if we end up going back down that route at some point in the future, then it would be nice to have practiced my Spanish for a year so that I'm not work, walking into a job with really rusty Spanish. So, so that, again, felt like a nice thing to do. The, when we looked at costs and we compared the cost of living to Scotland, it, it is a significantly ch- cheaper place for us to be. And it is, yeah, it's just a new culture for our kids. And I think one of the things that we appreciated being in Zambia is exposing our kids to, to new cultures and also to you know, to, to different lifestyles and to people who have different opportunities to them. You know, there is a huge amount of poverty in Zambia. And it's, you know, I think it's great for our kids to be able to see that, to appreciate what they have, to see that people can be happy with all of these material things that they don't, they don't really need. So to, to then show them another culture just felt like the, the right thing for us to do rather than maybe coming back to Scotland. So that's kind of ultimately how we ended up in, in Spain, where, where we're based at the minute. Um, but yeah, so I think looking back at Chautauqua, I was talking to my wife about this a couple of months ago as we sort of came up to the to a year on from having been there. And we're talking about, you know, what do we think? Was it worth it? You know, it was a lot of money. Was it was it really money well spent? And I think my wife, who is Zimbabwean but has a Scottish mother, she's she's got this whole Scottish mentality. You know what they say, Albert, you live in Scotland, so you know what they say about the Scottish men. You know, they've got deep pockets and short arms because spending money is just not something that comes easily to them. So my wife has got this kind of inbuilt in her and the thought of spending this much money, it's it's still... I think it still stings a little bit, but whenever you sort of evaluate the full picture and you think, where would we have been had we not spent that money? We we maybe would be back in work somewhere. We maybe would be in a place where we weren't 
quite enjoying the life that we have at the minute as as much as as we are. And I think the we're sort of three and a half months into this this Spanish journey, if you like. Um, we've certainly got through next next September, I think, to to go. And it's exciting just looking forward, knowing that that we have this time to spend with our kids when they're young, that they've got effectively two stay-at-home parents at the t- for the time being. And I think that's just this amazing opportunity that, that we're getting to to enjoy at the minute. And that might not have come about had we not gone to Chautauqua. And, you know, I think that the the reasons that, that I initially thought about going, about, you know, learning about side hustles a bit more, learning about investing, to be honest, by the time I got to, to heading to the Chautauqua, I'd already read so much about the stuff that there wasn't anything else left to learn. So there's no no technical insight I learned from from talking to to Jim or to anyone else there because you've already read their books, you've read their material, you know what they're going to say. It was really the conversations that you had, not just with the the speakers, but with you know the other attendees, the other twenty five odd people who were there, and some amazing stories there. Just to talk to them and to hear all these people who are on a similar path. You know, to have this this other tribe or this other clan that you can kind of connect with is is pretty special. And you know, even in our time in Spain, a couple of the people that that we met in Greece have come for visits, and it's it's been really nice to catch up. And I think you, I'm sure you've seen this as well, Oliver. Whenever you you meet up with people who have this similar outlook on on financial independence and the similar outlook on materialism, or you know, a, a striving to, to to walk away from materialism. There is this kind of instant connection, and it's you know, it's pretty special to meet with these people. And so, to automatically spend a week with with twenty five, thirty of these people is pretty cool, Alvar. So, it was a lot of money. There's probably ways of of doing some of it a little bit more cheaply. There's definitely other conferences that that are for financial independence that are not as expensive. But I wasn't aware of them at the time. This one felt like the you know what we should go for, and with hindsight, I'm I'm glad we went. Um, who knows how things would have turned out if we hadn't? But yeah, it was it was definitely worth going. But it is expensive, and it's, it's certainly not something I would tell anyone who's starting out on to to consider. And if you're looking to go to improve your technical knowledge around fire to learn new tricks, this isn't the place for it. You know, you can go onto a, a Facebook group or something and and find out this stuff, or or ask you know other people involved in in some of your Facebook groups over about this stuff. You'll learn about it there. This is more a place for talking about your your bigger dreams and your why and and what comes next after you know after you hit five. I think there was a lot of focus on that. So yeah, so those would be more the the things I would be considering if you were if you were thinking about a Chautauqua. So Paul, I am really intrigued by your story, the process you went through, and you know how you actually ended up now in Spain itself. Because if I might ask, how much did Chautauqua? How much did it cost you, you and your wife together in total? So I can't quite remember the exact numbers, um, Alvar, in terms of cost, but I think it was something like two thousand euros per ticket. So that's that's obviously pretty expensive, and then you've got flights on top of that. So your food is all covered when you're there. You're staying in a five star hotel when you're there. Um, the food is is pretty amazing, and that covers that's basically your only cost. Once you're there, that that's your only cost. I can't remember the exact total, but like I say, four thousand in tickets plus flights. Obviously, if you live a bit closer to Greece or wherever they're holding them, then it won't be quite as expensive. I think the ones for 2020, they are going to Greece and potentially Croatia, I think, is the other place that they're talking about going to. Gotcha. But in the end, obviously, 
it is a fairly uh, massive sum to spend, but the value you've gotten out of it, because without this Congress, which you have come to Spain in the end, which you have gained the inspiration to go and, you know, take this leap of faith. And what I also find actually quite cool, you know, you mentioned, okay, all the technical insights, um, how to stick to the budget, how to invest, etc. You already figured that out. And that's the thing with financial independence. Those things you can Google. You can learn that in three, four months, get your life in order, automate everything, save and go from there. That's not a difficult part, but actually going to these events, meeting others, uh, being inspired uh, and through those ways, through others. For example, like I learned through your story just by listening to yourself right now, what you have done, it enables me to make better choices myself in the end for my own life. And that's what I find so awesome because People who think like us, who are either frugal, really financially savvy, international expats, travelers, we all think in this way and in this way optimize our lives and gain the most of it out of the end. And if that's for yourself or as a couple learning the most or, you know, exposing your children to so many cultures and, you know, seeing Zambia, seeing Spain and that's really, really unique gift. And uh, one minor note, we're actually going to run an episode on all the events you can go to and what's available going all the way from the cheapest possible ones, uh, which run at 25 euro per person for a ticket uh, up to, uh, well, obviously, as uh, Paul just mentioned, what's, what would be probably 5,000 euro together of going. But we're going to run an episode where we're going to review all these events and go more into the details. But that's for later. So... One last note I actually wanted to make. We actually met up uh, mid-October in Granada, had coffee over there and breakfast. And you know, actually, you guys inspired us. Me and my girlfriend, we were there for our holiday trip, traveling around a little bit. And meeting up with you guys, uh, talking about your life story, how you got there. I mean, it definitely inspired my girlfriend because it's a lifestyle we both aspire and it's it's just really good to see that others are actually doing it it is possible it's it, it's not a hoax it's um it doesn't take uh the richest people in the world to do so this can be done by not necessarily anybody you need a you know a reasonable income but it can be done and i found that seriously cool so Paul, those were just a few notes i just took while listening to yourself and when you mentioned how you actually convinced your wife to join in, I, I was laughing. I was muted so nobody will hear this, but it's like, okay, wow. <laughs> it sounds, I think, to many of us so familiar that like, you know, your spouse, your partner, you know, you really care about this topic. You talk about mortgage, your interest rates, and you're like, yep, you just do whatever you want. You know, I'll agree. I'm, I'll help saving, but just sticking to that. And yeah, I think that hits home uh, for many. So I just made a quick note on that one. And actually, not the last note, one final note. Um, actually, on your blog itself, you wrote a really awesome article one year on 10 things that changed for the reluctant Shitakwan, which we will definitely link in the show notes, but it covers a portion of the things you just mentioned. But if everybody's interested in a written format, I would definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, because I think for all of us in the end, why are we following this movement? We want to get inspired. Obviously, we want to learn more and earn more money and find ways and investment schemes to triple whatever uh, we make return-wise. But in the end, we want something else. We want more than the standard. We want to be inspired. We want to dream, believe, and just do more than the ordinary. Uh, so your story makes for an amazing example on that one. 
anyway, guys, uh, that will be the episode uh, for today. We're actually going to go for a part two, which will be released on Friday because Paul has so much awesome to call for uh, that we felt, you know, we can only do this justice by uh, turning it into two episodes. So Paul's move uh, to Spain and whatever came with it will be covered uh, on, in the Friday episode. So for now, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for helping me, Albert. Perfect. And if you want to figure out all about uh, Paul's blog, where he's from and books he would recommend, you, you have to unfortunately uh, also listen to the Friday episode, just, you know, as a small uh, teaser to reach out to that one as well. This episode is sponsored by Mintos. And Mintos is the largest peer-to-peer -peer marketplace for European investors and offers a big selection of loans worldwide with regular returns of up to 12% per annum. And FI Europe listeners get 0.5% cashback bonus on their initial deposits. Head over to financial-independence.eu slash Mintos for more information. And the link will also appear in the show notes. Please note, we are no financial advisors, so please do your own research. And by using the referral link, you will also support us to cover the costs of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>